I liked podcasting of Tim. He wasn't afraid to experiment. I like podcasting like that. The Basic Instincts coming up next. <laughs> Haven't seen it with Tim Zestito and Tommy Tevenay. Hello, everybody. Welcome on in. Thank you all so much for listening to us today. This is a podcast where one of us is watching a movie for the very first time. And today that person is myself. Tim is watching Basic Instinct for the very first time. And wow. What a sexy thriller, Tommy. I, I didn't yeah. need to know all your uh, you know, deep, dark fantasies there, but thanks for sharing. I did appreciate the all, insight into your psyche. <laughs> all the kinks that uh, made you watch a big-budget Showtime uh, midnight movie. <laughs> yeah, it, it, it felt like if a, Cinemax, a Skinamax movie had a budget, that was yeah. basic instinct. <laughs> no, it, it, was, it, was, it was much more than that, um, to say the least. Um, I tend to enjoy those kind of noir movies. Um, uh, I just love the genre. Like I think of like the Maltese Falcon as one of the gold standards of noir movies from the, the golden age of that era. And this, you know, is like kind of a modern take on that. It's not as, yeah, I, it takes away the little bit of the corniness that I like and it plays it really straight. And it really, really, really works for it. But, you know, we're going to talk about that a little bit more. We'll go into a little more detail. Tommy, how you doing, though? Everything all right on your? Pretty good. Pretty good. You know, uh, I only watched this movie for the first time uh, earlier this month. Um, and then this is my second watch of it. And on second watch, I've appreciated the movie even more. And I'm really glad we're covering it now because this movie, I think, is hilarious. I think Sharon Stone's uh, magnetic. And I can't wait to talk more about this. <laughs> yeah. Well, we're going to dive right into it right now. This is Basic Instinct. I like you. You do? Well, we got 31 stab wounds. What was it? Ice pick. Stay away from her. You're dealing with someone very dangerous. So where's this going? What do you want from me? You just can't tell about people, can you? Michael Douglas. Sharon Stone. Basic Instinct, rated R, starts Friday, March 20th at a theater near you. So this is the Paul Verhoeven classic from 1992, starring Michael Douglas, Sharon Stone, and pretty much every other character actor from the 1990s. Yeah, (laughs) especially a lot of the cast of Seinfeld's in this. uh, Well, two of the cast, two of the cast of Seinfeld. But like regulars on Seinfeld, um, Kruger and Newman, both... uh, make uh, very triumphant appearances. I, I think it's underrated, like the heater that, that Wayne Knight went on and just playing bit parts in, in movies and shows during the 1990s. So this is, this is what happened. Uh, Basic Instinct comes out and uh, Wayne Knight is in that interrogation scene that we're going to touch upon later. And Steven Spielberg saw that scene and he was like, I need this guy to be in Jurassic Park. And that's how he got the Jurassic Park role right there. <laughs> I, I just think, I think about, you know he's he's always going to be known as Newman. There's just there's no way he he won't. Be. Yeah. But even in the '90s, he, the guy just was on fire outside of Jurassic Park. I'm here. I'm pulling up his IMDb page right now because I feel like there are very other things that he was in 
in the uh, Space Jam, uh, off the top of my head, right there. This movie, obviously, Jurassic Park, Hercules. Um, yeah, Hercules. Um, he was Gira- in JFK. JFK, Gir- Jurassic Park, and then he was also he was also in um, what's it called? Oh, I just I just saw it. Oh, he was in Toy Story too. He was the voice of Al in Toy Story yeah, too. And they modeled Al after him. I'm pretty sure. <laughs> oh, for sure. Yeah, they just got rid of the hair for him. But think yeah. for a character actor in the 1990s, that is as like on fire as a character actor could ever yeah. be. With Seinfeld and on you, top of that. Yeah, on top of like being uh, on one of the most popular comedy shows of the era, <laughs> like arguably the greatest sitcom ever made. So yeah, our hats off to you, Wayne Wayne Knight. I I just I respect your game very very much. Um, I guess maybe the good starting point is talking about the interrogation scene. It's easily the most iconic moment of the movie. This is the one part, like, you know, a lot of this podcast is us discussing movies that we've heard so much from cultural osmosis. And this is the one scene you think of when you hear basic instinct. And I'm sure I remember the scene before I even saw this movie. I'm sure you probably had a similar reaction, right? Well, I mean, I think everybody is very familiar with the uh, leg crossing. If you were a young male at the time, Uh, (laughs) you didn't see the movie, but you did see the clip of Sharon Stone, uh, you know, crossing her legs. Um, Uh, It was one one of the most paused scenes ever on VHSs where you have to expect so many tapes broke right there. (laughs) Oh, for sure. Well, I think she's the best place to start because she's absolutely magnetic in this in this movie. It's it's crazy because it's a sex it's a sex neo-noir thriller that that's the best yeah. way to describe it it's all driven by sex the entire time and i'm trying to think of a you know a lead actress really having to carry that much sexuality in like a major movie like this and i i'm really struggling to think of one that comes like even close to this like it's a dynamic performance yeah i mean in other movies like this it could be come off as like a little too like cold or just like weird or something like that or just too like awkward or cringy, but Sharon Stone really sells it. And, and the interrogation scene is the epitome of her role in that in this movie. Yeah, here, let's uh, let's just take a little look at the interrogation scene. I don't make any rules, Nick. I go with the flow. Did you kill Mr. Boz, Mr. Mel? I'd have to be pretty stupid to write a book about killing and then kill somebody the way I described it in my book. I'd be announcing myself as the killer. I'm not stupid. We know you're not stupid, Mr. Mel. Maybe that's what you're counting on to get you off the hook. Writing the book gives you an alibi. Yes, it does, doesn't it? But the answer is no. I didn't kill him. Do you use drugs, Mr. Mel? Sometimes. You ever use drugs with Mr. Boz? Sure. What kind of drugs? Cocaine. Have you ever fucked on cocaine, Nick? nice i love that the first shot after the leg cross scene is just wayne knight's face just he's like put like sweat is coming off his face his like chin is protruding out he's like he's almost like a monkey there he's just like this this had to be like the 90s like uh the ultimate gambit of like if you pause it correctly you get the sharon stone scene but if you pause it at the wrong spot like oh fuck no it's wayne knight like go back go back go back I'd like to see, I'd like to think that was Verhoeven 
intentionally being like, well, people are going to pause this on VHS without question. Let me give him Wayne Knight on the other end. You know, just, <laughs> just, as, sweat, just sweaty as a punishment. Ass fat guy. <laughs> yeah, sweaty ass fast guy. Like he, he's looking at her like a serial killer. It is a wild, wild shot to, to, to go from, the, from in between her legs to, yeah. to fucking Wayne Knight's face. <laughs> what i love about wayne knight in that scene um especially is just like how much he's licking his lips and just like he's clearly just like oh oh god <laughs> he's just so, so clearly just like and en- uh enveloped by her and sharon stone that scene that, that we just showed right there really pulls it off i love that when uh they ask her like oh like that'd be a good alibi wouldn't it be yes it would wouldn't it and she just is so fucking charming and clever in that whole scene well yeah I, well i think one thing that you know, we said like how she's using like her, her, you know, sexuality as a thing. The intelligence really comes off the charts there too. You know, you can just tell she's very cunning. You can tell that, that if you're playing chess, she's two moves ahead of you the entire time. And when I think of this performance now, like you said, this was the second time you've seen her in a month. Like, I feel like I need to go and revisit this because I think I'll get a lot more out of it when I'm not totally thinking about the mystery of the movie. Um, when I'm just like I, I was engrossed by the by the whole plot of the movie, it just it kept me in the entire time. This is one of the things about the movie uh, for me. I mean, in terms of the mystery, I didn't really think as much of a mystery. I thought that Sharon Stone was the killer from the beginning, and I viewed the movie more as a let's watch her see how she can get away with this. As more of like a, a did she do this type movie. No, see, well, I all right. So let's just jump into the ending because I guess we're we're on it here. Um, it kind of right. had, the very end of it is like an Inception like ending where Nick, Michael, Michael Douglas, Sharon Stone are in bed and he they're talking about what their future will be together. And you know, she puts her arm over the bed and you don't see what's under the bed. And she ultimately comes up and they start embracing and then the camera just pans down. You see where Christopher Nolan got his inspiration for Inception, where it just pans down and there's the ice pick sitting there and it makes you just question everything you just revealed because it ended up being revealed that uh, Nick's psychologist slash like sexual partner, uh, Beth, was the killer, that she was the one who got charged for it. And I think it's great because then you don't know. You don't know what happened because maybe they're just both psychos that, that kill people. I, I tend to think that Sharon Stone killed Johnny Maz, which is what sets the plot in motion. They find this former rock star dead, tied up to a bed. It was in one of Sharon Stone's books that she writes, Catherine Webb Wolf novels that she writes. Yeah. And it's, it's to a T exactly how they do it. You don't really know who did it. I think based on the body who was on top of him, because it like the movie just opens with flat out like softcore pornography. Just just boobs immediately. Just like, here we are. We, you're in for basic instinct. We know what you came for. Immediate open shot. Um, so that was Sharon Stone, actually, um, in that scene. Um, she confirmed that years later. But um, she apparently, like, uh, so basically when she, like, stabs the guy at the ice pick, the actor in real life passed out at one point, and Sharon Stone thought, oh, my God, did I just kill this guy? Because <laughs> she was pounding his chest so fucking much. And, like, she thought, like, oh, my God, like, the... The ice pick like was supposed to be retractable. Maybe it didn't retract, and maybe actually stabbed him to death. Like holy shit! <laughs> no, so, it's just a lot on your chest, especially you know an, an elder act. You know, not old, but you know in his late fifties, early sixties. The guy playing Johnny Maz, I'm sure he, you know he wasn't a young buck that could maybe take that kind of pounding on his chest. 
Um, yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, that basically confirms that she killed him. Mm. Uh, if Sharon Stone was the one in the in the scene, and I'm sure there's a lot of uh, detectives that are rewatching these scenes vigorously to to <laughs> make comparisons, and not not nothing, not for anything else, just for yeah, yeah, clearly for detective reasons, nothing else. You know, uh, you know, just avoid just blinders on the nudity right there <laughs> oh yeah no they weren't well no no it wasn't blinders <laughs> on the nudity because the nudity it was like matching up the nudity from shot to shot to see who it is does, does it look the same in this scene to this scene um <laughs> if, if you're telling me there aren't men in their 40s right now that were teenagers in the early 1990s that got this movie on vhs they're in high school they're alone their parents run out of the house for an hour that they weren't just pausing on that thing and then they just came to the conclusion that oh it, it had to be Catherine because like the boom oh. in this on this grainy fucking piece of shit vhs tape <laughs> The, the boob detectives out in full force. Uh, tying it back to another movie we covered recently, uh, the kids in the sandlot when they were filming the sandlot, apparently during filming, snuck out at one point to go sneak into a screen of basic instinct, and apparently the kids fucking loved it. Oh, <laughs> Can you imagine? I can't imagine that a bunch of 10 and 11 year old boys loved that movie. That is really <laughs> stunning. Yeah, but uh, I want to touch back on the um, what's it called? The interrogation scene uh, again, uh, just because it's just one of those things that, like, like we said, people just think about this with the movie, and it shows everything you need to know about Sharon Stone's character right there. And Sharon Stone herself, when she said that she was acting that scene, she kind of wanted to bring it out as like, you know, this character's playing a game with the detect- detectives. She thinks like, oh, you think you can take me down? That's cute. Let me see. Uh, let me fuck a few right now. Let me show you how much power I actually have in this room, because it's basically five or six men in that room interrogating her, and she should be intimidated. But instead, she's like, fuck you, no. I'm going to make you guys feel uncomfortable. Listen, I I love that performance. I mean, I guess it's kind of confirmed. And I, I kind of thought that at the end when you saw the ice pick, it was a lot more clear than like, I you know, compared it to Inception. It's a lot more clear than than the end of Inception where is it a dream? Isn't, is it not a dream? What is it? Whereas with, with, with this one, I was like, okay, so she definitely killed Johnny Mass, like without question. Like, yeah. It, it was basically Boz, Boz Maz, semantics, yeah. semantics, Tommy. God, <laughs> semantics. <damn it. laughs> and yeah, and I think the next guy we gotta, you know, maybe look at here is, is Michael Douglas, the the other star of the movie, uh, probably his best work, I would say, at least from what up, I've seen. Up there, yeah. Although he's there. won, um, although he's won two Oscars, so so uh, well, he's in, uh, for Wall Street. That's you know, Gordon Gecko is probably his most iconic character and forever will be. Or he's only won one actor. He was just, he won an Oscar. He shared it with, for One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest. So that was very misleading. Yeah, um, because Michael Douglas in the 70s was more of a producer than an actor. And it wasn't until the 80s where he hit his stride with like Fatal Attraction. Um, I've been on a little bit of run of like the Michael Douglas, like erotic thrillers, like this and uh, Fatal Attraction. And he really plays well to that zone of just like this, his character is just such a scummy piece of shit, but he's a lovable piece of shit. You know, <laughs> he's got that. He's got that New Jersey energy, just that kind of like slimy New Jersey. You know, do you just think like Soprano guys? Like yeah. he's just got that energy down. Um, and I really loved his character because his character is very complicated. And what I love about when I what I love about these movies is when the it's more about the characters driving the plot rather than the plot driving the plot. Mm. You know, it's it it explores Nick fully and it even explores Catherine pretty 
pretty extensively, although you'd get much less of a read on her. And I think that's intentional. They don't, they yeah. you can't for the mis- for the mystery of the movie. And it's interesting that you said you weren't really engrossed in the whodunit of it. I th- I was like, okay, it's her, it's her, it's her. But when they threw the Beth twist in the psychi- the psychiatrist, I was like, oh shit, okay, like we're getting somewhere here. When uh, they go, when she mentions the old classmate that used to stalk to stalk her, and it turned out to be Beth. Like when she said that, I was like, okay, yes, it's very clearly Beth. Uh, there's there's no way it isn't. Yeah, I think it might have been the cultural osmosis of this movie kind of spoiling it for me, kind of like in a sixth sense set type of thing, where it's just like, oh, like. You kind of knew what, I kind of knew what the ending was, uh, or I knew that Sharon Stone was the killer through other movies where people talked about like, oh, are you gonna go Sharon Stone in her ass and like uh, use the ice pick or something? I've um, never heard that used before, but I like it. It was in it was in Scream. It was like, oh, you going Sharon oh, Stone on her ass? Oh, that's right. Yeah. Okay, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Well, it makes sense that you remember everything about Scream, and I don't. Yeah, to be, to be honest with, with you here. <laughs> Four months later, you're like, "Oh yeah, I watched that once. It was good." <laughs> yeah, I still like Scream. I'm, I'm still yeah, yeah. standing by my score of Scream, but but uh, I'm not going to be able to pull all the the quotes of it. I think there's only one quote that I fully fully remember from that movie. No, you listen, you little bitch. You hang up on me again, I'll cut you like a fish. Understand? You know, I had it there. I had to pull it up. Yeah, you, you had the audio clip up, so it helps. <laughs> um, I like that my yeah. objective in the podcast is for me to mention George Lucas or Ghostbusters at least once in the podcast, and Tommy's objective is just to mention Scream as much as yeah. possible. I have but, to drop it. it <laughs> all movies come back to Scream. <laughs> yeah. what it's, as George <laughs> Lucas says, it's like poetry. It rhymes. You know? Yeah. <laughs> um, so it's one of those things that the making of this movie, I think, is almost just as interesting as the movie itself. Um, so this movie came out, um, basically, the screenwriter, Joe Esterhouse, he sold the script for $3 million, uh, which was unheard of at the time. He wrote, like, Flashdance before, and um, anyways, but he wrote some more other movies, and uh, basically, Michael Douglas was cast. And Michael Douglas won another A-list actress to be on the top of the building because this is a $40 million movie. And which is a like, lot at the, which is a lot at that time. Yeah, yeah. For a movie that essentially like you, you really don't really see on the screen other than I guess like the exact locations and like the blood effects. Um, but he was like, this is a movie is a huge risk. Like I need another A-list actress to um, you know do this movie with me. So he uh, wanted he suggested uh, Kim Basinger. She said no. She suggested Julia, uh, Julia Roberts. She said no. Greta Sarkachi, she said no. And then Meg Ryan, Michelle Pfeiffer, Gia Davis, Kathleen Turner, Ellen Barkin, and Demi Moore were all up for the role. They all said fucking no. So I can I can imagine a lot of actresses would have it's it's not even just like nudity, because I'm sure if we went through the list, some of them have like I think Bassinger has, but yeah, it's like no, 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 no. It's like over the top intensity. I'm honestly shocked this movie was released in theaters, like without an X rated. This is this is a time in like the 90s where just these movies were hidden. And like Michelle Pfeiffer, for example, she was up for a role and she uh, for this role, and she said no because she's like, my dad's still alive, and I don't really ex- uh, want to show off my body that way. And I, you can't blame her, you know. No, I I, I wouldn't. Bl- I mean, listen, you got to give Sharon Stone a ton of props. That it's ballsy because here's the. Th- the thing she uh, this movie was fantastic when you have a director like paul verhoven i which i'm sure like putting like a guy like that who doesn't doesn't do everything but when he does something you know he's gonna fucking knock it out of the park here like this you got robocop total recall basic instinct show girls starship troopers that is a 
bloody hell a good hell of a run. That is Showgirls is the one uh, outlier maybe right there that's but it's still, uh, supposed to be yeah people iconic. still love it's, it though people still love it. It's a camp classic. Uh, so Sharon Stone comes in. Uh, she read this. Uh, she got the script because her uh, agent at the time broke into the casting director's office with a credit card to steal a script because no one wanted to give it to her. So the manager from there called Paul Verhoeven every day for seven or eight months just to get her a screen test. And she only got the screen test after all those actresses we discussed before turned on the role. Michael Douglas was like, fuck it. We can take this unknown. Because at this time, Sharon Stone's best known role was a small part in Total Recall, also made by Paul Verhoeven, where the connection came from. So she even posed nude for Playboy just to get the attention of the uh, producers because she's like, I want to get this role. So that's how far she went. And honestly, you know, shout out to her because like fucking this made her career. She was a superstar for at least six or seven years after this movie came out. <laughs> oh, yeah. I mean, I'm looking at it before. She was just in like, you know, bit parts in TV, TV, you know, TV movies, which at the time were was like the, the D list of of acting. Mm-hmm. Uh, you, you know, it was always it was movies, then television was like your b list and then tv movies was like c and d like where you're with the soap opera stars Um, yeah it's just like jesus and she was 32 at the time but she said like okay this is a make or break point for me if i don't get this role then i'm gonna quit acting and she's gonna go into law so well yeah after basic instinct she got she got last action hero she got the quick and the dead she got casino which is uh which is probably the peak of her career to be Uh, fair last action hero was just um her cameo as the character from Basic Instinct. Oh, was it? Second, I, I never. Yeah, seen it. I'm just reading. I'm rolling through the thing. But that's yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, yeah. But that's how I, iconic the thing was because Last Action Hero came out a year later, and already they're making spoofs of this movie. <laughs> I mean, she was spoofing the role itself. Because <laughs> this this was the fourth fucking highest grossing film in 1992. It grossed fucking 352 goddamn million dollars at the box office. Like, what the fuck? How yeah. this movie make that much money? As an, that must have been the highest grossing R-rated movie at the time. I'd have to imagine. I mean, in today's money, that that's like $700 million. So I can yeah, I can't imagine a movie like this doing anything close to this amount of money. Well, it would be on H it would be on HBO or it would go direct to one of those. Um it would honestly they probably stretch it into a mini-series. They this is you know, really dive deeper into the characters. Like it was a two-hour movie. I love the pacing of it. I love pretty much everything about this movie. I really don't have a lot of complaints. Um, uh, the movie's fucking hysterical too. There are just so many good one lines. Like, just his his uh, partner Gus is just such a great communicator. Uh, Gus, his I lines are very fucking <laughs> love Gus. Gus was like, Gus was easily my favorite character. He's the only likable person in the movie. None of these characters are really likable. Yeah. He's the only one that's not a real piece of shit. And then like his like line readings on some stuff where he's like, oh, suspension of disbelief. I like that. Oh, yeah. It, yes, that's right. When they're driving her to the interrogation scene and she's talking about yeah. her book or whatever, he literally just looks at the camera. No, suspension yeah. of disbelief. Hateful. Like, I, I love that. I love that. That's, that is, I feel like, peak Verhoeven. Because I, when I think of Verhoeven, it's, oh, there's always satire to him. Yeah, RoboCop and Starship Troopers are two of the best like satires ever made. And when you put him in a movie that's more of a thriller, it's not really tongue in cheek, and it's not as much of a commentary on America or you know the like the institutions of America. It's more of just a straight story. Like he had to get his little you know, comedic sensibility. (laughs) 
but also think about it from an audience perspective where it's like at this point the story at that point in the movie before the interrogation scene it's pretty straight laced you know by the book how you do a detective movie how you would do yeah. it like pacing opening up with the open up with the kill the first kill and that's the mystery of the movie then the cops right coming then the cops coming in looking at the scene making a couple of jokes going to see the suspect for the first time going back more police jibber jabber and then this scene and then he, you know he just looks at the thing and goes suspension of disbelief and then the, from there it's it's almost telling the audience like yeah we get it this movie's about to get a little fucking crazy just yeah. relax it's a movie like it I, I like that. I think I think a movie like that almost needs. I mean, the movie needs celebrity. If this movie was like a straight drama, like imagine if Zack Snyder directed this movie, it would be the worst piece of shit I've <laughs> ever seen. It'd be so dour. It'd be so <laughs> depressing. It'd be like yeah. dark. Oh, but I, you know, I, I think you got to really credit Fairholden because I, I think he's maybe the most underrated director of that era. Just because well, so of, many of his movies were misunderstood at the time. Like people didn't realize that Starship Troopers was like a satire for a while, where they're yeah. just like, "Oh, this is just a dumb action movie or something like that." And it's like, "No, this is making fun of it." Yeah, that's <laughs> just—it's like that's the point of Starship Troopers. I think of Verhoeven now, and it's just—it's it, one of those guys that you know, in 20, 30 years, and you know, fifty—you know, this movie's fifty years old or whatever—that is. Like people are maybe going to have to start diving deep into his categories, even though like I think of a movie like RoboCop, I didn't see that until 2020. And I, I watched it and I think I immediately tweeted. I was like, why didn't anybody tell me I needed to watch this movie yesterday? Like the, yeah. it was incredible. It was a masterpiece. It was 90 minutes. No fat on the movie. This movie, no fat on this movie. This movie is just like pure start to finish exactly what this movie needed. Because the interrogation scenes, what, like at the 20 minute mark, it's very early in. Yeah, very early in, which was like, I immediately was like, oh, wow, like we're already going to this. Um, so the fact that the pacing keeps up, I mean, like, even though the mystery I wasn't as enveloped in on my first watch as you were, it still is engrossing, even on the second watch, because now it's just more of like a watch Sharon Stone, just like fuck with everyone and see how she's slowly fucking with Michael Douglas to the point that Michael Douglas thinks that he can go to a club in his late 40s when everyone else around him is in his uh, early 20s. <laughs> yeah, well... Oh, can we just talk about that club scene? Yeah, yeah. It is so early '90s. It is just bananas. Uh, yeah, literally the fact that like fucking people thought at the time Michael Douglas was too old for a role, and I kind of agree at some points because that one scene's the one time where it sticks out because it's just like Michael Douglas is that creep you see at the nightclub that like has like the mustache or whatever is in his late forties. It's like, dude, what the fuck are you doing here? No one wants to hear. Yeah, he listen. He was. Well, first of all, he was. He, uh, could you picture anybody else in this? Oh, actually, I want to see Quentin Tarantino from <laughs> from Dust Till Dawn play his role because it would be so bad. Like the camp, like you could just camp this movie up. It would be fucking hysterical. Yeah, and then Sharon Stone whispered him like, "Do you want to like like my?" <laughs> well, if Tarantino was in this movie, there'd be a lot more foot. Like he would be like lying on the bed, and you would just see her feet going up and down. <laughs> The sex scene would just be purely feet. <laughs> it would just be purely feet. Because Tarantino would be like, listen, I know I'm not a big director yet, but, you know, listen, listen, it's got to be the feet. Listen, I, people I, love the feet. People love the feet. <laughs> <laughs> um, but thankfully, Michael Douglas, like, I think for the most part works. But, yeah, the touch on the club scene, it's just, like, over the top. Sharon Stone's, like, fucking making out um, that girl. Um, God, I forget her name. Roxy. Roxy, yeah, Roxy. 
and just like doing coke right there and she uh, slams the bathroom door shut and it's just so like over the top club thing where it's just so i don't know like the colors just are just so well, it was ridiculous a, it was a fantasy and a nightmare blended together that's what this movie is and that's why it works because like the entire thing's a nightmare but it's told from the perspective of fantasy mm-hmm. right like that that's what this yeah. basically what this movie is it, it in and of itself like Nick Curran has a dark past. He's killed multiple people, including two tourists, which is why he was seeing Dr. Beth Garner. Beth was like a stalker who stalked uh, Catherine or so. I guess you can't really allegedly, you can't take any of these facts at face because I think, and I think that's part of the beauty and probably why it's so rewatchable because I can rewatch this a second time and, and have a complete different opinion. And then on my fourth viewing of this movie, I can have a completely different opinion on everything that's going on about the, that's what, you know the facts of everything that's what's great that they don't like like spell it out for you they don't tell you like immediately at the end of the movie like yeah like she was bullshitting the whole time and uh beth was actually a great person and everything well beth wasn't a great person she fucking killed yeah. gus she killed the hero of the movie did, did beth kill gus or does sharon stone kill gus because i think sharon stone killed gus no i i think i think beth i think beth i don't I think Beth killed her because it was told that it was told to, and maybe this almost confirms it, that Beth imitated Catherine. And once Beth realized what Catherine was doing, she started like going crazy, right? Like even with the husband going, going missing and the revolver mm-hmm. to the police detective, like I, I think Beth was also a killer. I think they're both killers. I, th- I, th- I personally think that Catherine framed her um, and this is what's great about this movie that we have so much different interpretations, but I think both are valid. Um, Absolutely. Yeah. Cause they, they do misdirect you or at least direct you that way. Cause like you, you see like the wig, the blonde wig or something like that. So you make, makes you think like, okay, did Beth Framer, did uh, Sharon Stone like have. My, my thing is, and maybe it would just take like a much deeper watch and like, not like at the at first viewing, you just need to take it all in for what it is and not try to like watch the, you know, the little details. Mm. The reason I think it's Beth and that, that Beth did kill is that like, there's just, there's just no earthly evidence that Sharon Stone, the Catherine was there. Like there's just, there's just not, there, there is zero, zero. None. Like you, oh. I think the movie needs to put a little connotation on it, you know? Mm. And maybe um what's the guy when kruger dies i can't remember his name but he was the dick to nick he fucking yeah yeah him. the internal affairs guy guy yeah like they didn't like each other and then it finds that he's dead with a gun but then you're telling me that he she went into beth's apartment and after killing and put the 38 revolver there that was also used to kill the husband five years ago up north I, like that's where i think beth actually did do it at least gus i don't think she did johnny Maz or Maz or whatever the hell his name is. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I think they're just both killers, and I think it's she always imitated her, right? So maybe Catherine was telling the truth about the imitation that she followed yeah, that around. Beth, Beth pulled the single white female allegedly. So, um, <laughs> I, yeah, it, it's what what I like. But I mean, at second watch, I mean, like the more I think about it, the more I think of just. Like there's one one part um, where you can see like a lot of this movie is like you know the kills kind of mirror uh, what uh, Catherine's novels, and at one point you see a manuscript of 
basically Michael Douglas before Gus dies reading some part of the manuscript that's basically saying like Gus dies or so, or like the detective's partner dies in dies. the elevator. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, and okay. So that's no what one, said no one there. yeah, and no one else could uh has read the fucking uh book yet. There's no way that someone could have imitated that uh what's it called? That kill except for Catherine. At least that's my interpretation. Maybe. I mean it could have just she's also like a psychologist and crazy and a crazy person who might be able to just predict behavior. And once she realized that Beth was involved in this, you know, they were former college classmates that she started to predict her behavior. That could be another thing too. I, I mean, really, when you think about it, like this discussion just really shows the power of this movie that you can, we can have totally two different things. I think when you're dealing with a director like Verhoeven, who's very precise, I think there, and maybe it just takes me a couple more viewings. I think there'd be a little modicum of more evidence, but maybe, maybe just the manuscript saying that the, that he's going to die in the elevator is enough. But I also think that she didn't do it because I think she would have killed Nick at the end if she did it, if that makes sense. Like, I don't, well, I, I, I like that it kind of ends open-ended. That oh, yeah. Make your own assertion right there. I personally think that he pro- uh, that she probably killed um, Michael Douglas not long after that scene. Oh, oh, I'm sure. But that's the beauty yeah. of it. Who, uh, uh, listen, she, he's either dead or they're like separated and fucking hate each other's guts. Like there's just no yeah. in between on, on the two of those. Um, yeah. And basic instinct too, which we don't need to talk about ever. And I don't have any intentions to ever watch. Apparently doesn't even answer the question, which is good, but, but that movie apparently fucking sucked so much that I'm no. going to, I'm going to guess Verhoeven had nothing to do with the production. It was only Sharon Stone was the only returning person coming back and a uh, completely new director. Uh, instead of Michael Douglas, it was like the guy who played the governor on The Walking Dead. So Oof. That's, that's what we're talking. Woof, yeah, woof, yeah. So woof, woof, woof. Apparently it's like one of the ma- worst movies ever made. <laughs> well, see, okay. Now this is an interesting direction definition because we, we were actually just talking, we were talking about this off air, but we were saying, okay, like, like we, we really haven't covered any bad movies on this because uh, unless you're doing a bad movie podcast, I think it's a little difficult to just start throwing bad movies in and then people being like, why are you covering this movie? Fucking sucks. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but I think there's a different definition between the worst movie ever made and like the worst movie ever made. Like Troll 2, Plan 9 from Outer Space, The Room, like those are all considered the worst movies ever, ever made, but they're just so bafflingly bad and hilarious that they're the most entertaining bad movies to watch like a true bad movie is something that you're just sitting there and you're just like it's taking all of my willpower in the world to not turn the screen off on this piece of shit movie so i guess like i don't know how bad it is because it's hard with the reviews where people like oh it's terrible it's this that and the other thing it's like well maybe it's just like really bad acting and like terrible effects and just a lot of funny shit because if it's funny then it's at least watchable the worst thing a movie can be is boring because, like, I'm a huge fan of the Friday the 13th movies. I don't think they're good, but they're fucking fun. They're fucking just like, you know, they're bad. The acting's probably bad and like, the, but it's just still a fun time in the movies. But if you watch, like, I think the worst movie we probably covered in this pod so far was like the Matrix sequel. And yeah. I was, I was bored out of my goddamn mind when we watched that. Yeah, so that, that was one where, uh, I, 
I'm glad I saw it in theaters because I don't know if I would have made it through it honestly on HBO. It was kind of it was it was a little rough. Um, it was the only time where we we covered a movie where like I really was like oh god this feels like homework and like I, I can't turn this off because we're covering it for the podcast. But if we didn't if we didn't cover for the podcast. First, I probably wouldn't have seen it, but if I did see it, uh, if I did watch it, I probably would have turned it off because I was like, fuck this. <laughs> well, also, I guess, you know, if you want us to cover some bad movies, uh, let us know. Tweet at us, yeah. whatever. Uh, you can find us on Twitter at CNITPod. You can also find us on Instagram at CNITPod. You can also find us on Apple, Spotify, all these places. Haven't seen it. Give us a, give us a subscribe on there. Uh, leave us a little five-star review. We'd really appreciate it. This is the first time in a while we actually didn't do a tease at the beginning telling people to do that. So we're plugging it in the middle here. You know, it's nice yeah. to camouflage in. Like exactly, exactly. We're, we're maturing as a podcast. That's pretty much what we're doing here. We're trying to, at least. So um, I guess we should talk about, um, I guess, the Verhoeven of it all. I mean, like Verhoeven himself. Um, I was telling you earlier, this movie, yeah, has a lot of sex scenes, but I was like, I was jokingly saying like, yeah, this is a sec, the sex scene in this movie. I, the thing I wasn't paying attention to was like, oh my God, there's boobs on screen or something. <laughs> Verhoeven like made it where like, there's so many scenes like during Michael Douglas and Sternstrom sex scenes where literally like Verhoeven fucking made storyboards for these sex scenes to show to the executives. Like what the fuck <laughs> of yeah. all things. Yeah, but um, there's so many scenes where it's just like you're watching the movie and you're almost like, oh my God, like it's Sharon Stone about to kill him right here because you see so many times where she's reaching back just like in the beginning of the movie and you're thinking, is she about to grab the ice pick and just stab Michael Douglas to death right there? And you're more focused on that than anything sexual that's happening on screen. <laughs> well, I think this is a good time to talk about their chemistry because they have great chemistry. And if they didn't, oh boy, would this movie have been a clunker. But here's a little, here's a little taste of their chemistry. They never tested you, did they? Internal Affairs knew. Your wife knew too, didn't she? She knew what was going on. I think you got too close to the flame. <gasps> That's why she killed herself. So I guess my bad on the audio part to say it on the chemistry side. It's way more visual, the chemistry there. They're just... <laughs> yeah. So I'm going to explain now. They're basically kissing while Sharon Stone is whispering all these cruel things about the book that coincide with his real life. And just like, just the way that she's able to play off of him. Just... His, his silence i think is like really powerful um, just the way that he's very like intimidated by her in that scene um i think more than anything that clip we just showed off uh highlights how amazing the score was of this movie um on my second rewatch i really noticed that more than i did the first time but the score is just so sweeping so or orchestral um it just really just envelops you and just like, great in a thriller way where you're like oh my god it just hits on the right uh notes right there where immediately when she says like Oh, your wife didn't know, didn't you? And immediately the score's like, ah! <laughs> Well, I think when I think of a lot of thrillers from this time, I think of a lot of synth scores. And I think this one takes that kind of sound, but 
fully orchestrates it, which is really what makes it swell. Uh, the music was by Jerry Goldsmith. He did a fantastic job. Like, like moment one to moment end, he was fantastic. I mean, he did LA Confidential, Star Trek First Contact, you know, obviously the movie we all think of when we think of Star Trek. And of course. And Looney Tunes he, back in action. So, you know, guys, guys are king. Obviously. Well, yeah, he, he's done, he's done like Alien Implant, the original Planet of the Apes and Hoosiers, Air Force One, uh, Mulan, and even The Mummy with Brendan Fraser. Gremlins um, 2. Jerry, Gremlins 2, yeah. Um, even some Rambo movies and stuff like that. So this guy got around. He was nominated for an Oscar for this movie, uh, for the score, which I think was very much deserved. Uh, the only reason he didn't win was because Aladdin came out that year. And Aladdin won the Oscar. So that's the one thing where you're like, okay, that makes sense. But still... I think the score is one of the reasons why this movie works so much for me um, more than anything. Cause like, like we're, like I was saying earlier about the sex scenes during that scene or like the score is just like in that clip where you're going on just so it builds up and builds up the tension so much where you're just thinking, Oh my God, like what the fuck is going to happen right here? What is going on? Like, this is just mind blowing, you know? Oh my God. I'm like looking at it. Cause I just, he had so many credits here. I'm just looking at his Oscar nominee list here. All right, he has Mulan, L.A. Confidential, Basic Instinct, Hoosiers, Under Fire, Poltergeist, Star Trek won the multi motion picture. He won for The Omen. He also did Chinatown, Patton, Planet of the Apes. Those are some of the most iconic movies ever made. Yeah. And the score this is guy got triumphant right. in there. Yeah, this, listen, my hat's off to you, Jerry Goldsmith. I didn't know your name before, but God damn it, now I definitely know your name. But Tommy, it's time to figure out, a, I think, an actually very, very difficult question. I am a star. I'm a star, I'm a star, I'm a star. I am a big, bright, shining star. Who won this movie? Because I think there's only two choices, obviously, and Wayne Knight. Yeah. And Wayne, <laughs> Wayne Knight would be who, who stole the movie, or who, uh, like, character actor, like, best character actor. So, um, but uh, of who won the movie, I think the obvious answer, at least for me, would be Sharon Stone. She literally, her career was made off this movie. The most, uh, the greatest fucking, like, most iconic scene in this movie is purely focused on her. And even if you take away the whole, yeah, she showed her vagina part of that movie, that scene still is fucking amazing and still just... Just as tense. Just as tense. Like, literally, you didn't need that. (laughs) You know, I'm sure some guys loved it forever. But Michael Douglas is a close runner-up, but I think Sharon Stone also just... This movie wouldn't work if Sharon Stone wasn't in this movie, I feel like. Yeah, I, I agree with you. I, it's it's Sharon Stone's movie, but we do... I feel like we didn't give Michael Douglas enough of his props for um, you know showing us how much of a weird sexual deviant he must be off-screen. Like, do you think, like, with Sharon Stone, he was just like, we should probably just have sex once just to get it out of the way because it's going gonna, it's gonna it, to be it, weird. The fucking screen, the, the fucking like sex scenes almost look like they actually did. <laughs> but um, yeah. as, as weird as he is, Michael Douglas had a fucking no frontal nudity clause. Like, come on, Sharon Stone showed her uh, vagina. Michael Douglas, show your fucking dick. <laughs> you know, listen, Tommy. That's cool, man. No, it's, it's cool. It's, a, it's cool. Don't listen. Listen, I, I have no problem with that whatsoever. I mean, dude, good for you, dude. I, I, listen, I, I, 
Listen, Tommy. I, I... That all that was on purpose. We're not gay. Not that there's anything wrong with that. No, of course not. <laughs> I mean, it's fine if that's who you are. Absolutely. I mean, I have many gay friends. My father's gay. Hold off. And now everyone at NYU thinks I'm gay. <laughs> not that there's anything wrong with that. Not at all. Yeah, yeah. So, um, Michael Douglas, uh, whatever. <laughs> listen, <laughs> <Moving on. laughs> that must mean his listen. That must mean he's not too happy with his Johnson. That's that would be my guess. Yeah, that right would there. be my guess if, if we're going to be honest. But I mean, you could have gone the Mark Wahlberg route and just put a cast on that puppy. Well, Verhoeven uh, said that one of the reasons when he wanted to make this movie, excuse me, the one of the reasons why I don't make this movie was he wanted to make this the first mainstream movie to feature an erect penis. So, <laughs> wow, he yeah. talk about ambition, he, huh? Ambition, he failed, but uh, yeah, there's a there's definitely a deleted scene in some salt mine in California somewhere that has an erect penis with Michael Douglas <laughs> carrying it. Whether it's his or not is up to your interpretation, but it's it's yeah, there's definitely a take. There's 100. I, uh, I bought the Blu ray recently, and it was um, the uncut version, and I I was jokingly saying like, oh, like is the uncut version just instead of like Sharon Stone, like just showing, you know, her stuff is is just Michael Douglas showing his stuff instead, <laughs> or like just the, like more just in the interrogation scene instead of Sharon Stone's legs, it's just him like unzipping and just like flapping it out, <laughs> just presenting his dick, just, <laughs> just slamming like, on the table, and just like t- no, just like very quietly like taking it out and just shoving it back in. <laughs> And then we'll have a bunch um, of people canceling this movie for sexual harassment. And you just go, all right, all right man, this is 30 years ago. Calm down. Well, well, there's that one scene where Michael Douglas is literally like, getting interrogated. And he says the same exact stuff that uh, Catherine Sharon Stone was saying. He's like, oh, like, oh, were well, you going to arrest me for smoking cigarettes? In the uncut version, it's just like, he also just uncrosses his leg right there. <laughs> and just like a little hip thrust. Like, he doesn't even take it out. Just a little, yeah. you know, just uh, uh, <laughs> Like a little Alpacino. Like, <laughs> well, I yeah. think that that leads into our next segment perfectly. Ah, are you ready, comedy partner? Waka waka. Okay. No, this movie does not work as a Muppet adaptation as currently constructed. However, if you make it super, super, super campy, which like there's a little edits that you could do here and there. Yeah. And you just leave. I want to say you just leave Gus as the human. Gus is the only human in the movie and Kermit would play uh, Michael Douglas and you have, and then you have Miss Piggy as Sharon Stone naturally. Yeah, Miss Piggy is Sharon Stone naturally. Yeah, obviously. Naturally, <laughs> uh, the, that's a billion dollar movie right there. <laughs> ba- basic Muppets, ba- basic puppets. <laughs> Muppet Instinct. M- M- Muppet Instinct. Tommy, yeah, it was go. right there. Jesus Christ, dude. Come on. It was just sitting on a silver platter for you. Not my Muppet puns right now. No, apparently not. Come on, what what are we doing here? Um, <laughs> no, and you could have like Fozzie play. Um, Fozzie could play. Fozzie would, Fozzie would be Gus. No, Fozzie no, be Gus. no. Gus is the only human. Wayne Fozzie okay. would be like Wayne Knight. Um, Gonzo would be uh, Kruger, the, the guy who plays Kruger or whatever. Yeah, it would be. Uh, listen, it would be a riot. I'm I'm here for it personally. You know me. It doesn't matter if they're good. If you make a Muppet adaptation of a full feature-length movie, I'm going to sit through it. Yeah, we'll watch it. <laughs> we'll advocate for it. More, more Muppet adaptations of old movies. <laughs> please, please and thank you. But now, Tommy, it is time. I'd like your review. Okay. Uh, so 
when I first watched this movie, um, like I said, I wasn't really engrossed by the mystery part of it. So for a little bit, I was like, oh, the movie kind of drags in the middle or something like that. But on rewatch, um, I've noticed the score a lot. Um, I noticed like, you know, just how engrossing the whole movie is and it really engaged me, even though I knew the whole mystery part a little bit more than I did the first time. So I think that this movie, Sharon Stone gives an all-time performance, amazing and captivating. Michael Douglas also plays off her really well. And I'm going to give this a four out of five. Um, I think it's a really fun movie. I'm going to rewatch this a ton. I bought the Blu-ray recently. Uh, Shout out to the archive in uh, Bridgeport, Connecticut. Great place. Um, But yeah, four out of five. And I would echo your sentiment. I think it's just, you don't get thrillers like this anymore. Um, it's yeah. just, it's it's so much fun from beginning to end about like, a, it's very serious and it's very stern and it's very dark, yet it's somehow light and humorous the entire time. It, it, it carries, it carries the movie where it could get really serious, really dark, kind of boring, like kind of make you feel like shit. It doesn't do that. It, it keeps it, it keeps it light. It keeps it levity. And I said before, it's, it's a fantasy and a nightmare. It's a nightmare told as a fantasy. That's what this movie is. That's why it succeeds. So I echo your sentiments. Four to five stars. I totally understand why this is a landmark film from the 90s. And I understand why people still talk about it today. And it's got way more to do than Sharon Stone crossing her legs. Way more. Yeah. <laughs> no, exactly. <laughs> That's just like the tip of the iceberg where it's just like, okay, there's a lot more than just that. <laughs> Exactly, exactly. So, Tommy, do you have any more thoughts? Anything else you'd like to say? Uh, just want to shout out, of course, uh, our Twitter and Instagram at SeenItPod um, and both. And thank you for supporting the pod. You know, uh, give us five stars on Apple and Spotify. And thank you guys. Love the support. Thank you guys very much. We're still figuring out our schedule for the month of May, but we'll see you back here again next week. Talk to you then. <laughs>